0: Let's take our Bibles and go to John chapter 15. We're going through a series on changed. What does it look like when Christ really gets a hold of a person? What does it look like to truly change? And we are in, uh, for that passage, Galatians chapter 5, if you want to hold your place there. And we begin to work through that and we've come through what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. It's a way of saying this is what God does in a person when God takes over their life. And we praise God. That we're seeing life change in Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. Amen. Let's give Jesus amen. Yeah. Because as we say many times. It's, it's one thing if we have. If we have big budgets, if we have beautiful buildings, if we have great instruments, all of those things are tools. But if we don't see, see people's lives getting changed, then really it doesn't matter a whole lot. And we praise God for your faithfulness in reaching out to your friends and family. So let's go to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about joy today. And this is what Jesus says in a long speech he's giving to the disciples about being plugged into him, being connected to the vine. And he says in verse 10 in chapter John, in John chapter 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide or you will remain or live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and notice this, and that your joy may be full. You see, according to Jesus, commandments, yes, commandments have everything to do with love. And most of us when we were young and our parents gave us commands, we thought that they were just killjoys. We thought the reason why mom says not to do that, the reason why dad says stop, is because they just don't get fun. Until we later realized the reason why our parents gave us, and teachers as well, commands was because there was an undercurrent, a foundation of love. So what Jesus is saying, and I'm just gonna go ahead and say, I'll take what Jesus says and go with it, alright? Like I'm just, I'm just gonna put everything there. And here's the thing, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, if you know that you've not been saved, we're glad that you're here, right church? And we are so excited that you are just simply, at the very least, entertaining the teachings of Jesus, seeing if they're true. And we hope that God reveals himself to you. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus, is that he connects love and joy and commands all in that same package. You see, Jesus says there that, in verse number 11, I've spoken all of these commands, these things to you, that my joy may be in you. Now joy is some awesome stuff. And if it comes from Jesus. It's real. And then he says. Not just that my joy would be in you. But that your, your joy may be lame. That your joy may be full. So this is going to be an absolutely exciting message. I was not here last week. I got terribly ill. First time I was ever out of the pulpit for something like that. So I may strip a vocal gear this morning. So pray for me. I'm so excited, man, because I'm with you this morning. Aren't you glad to be in church? Amen. I mean, praise God that we could actually be here. And not only that, we're going to talk about joy. So here's, here's kind of the driving current of what we're going to go for this morning. If you have one of these, it's got the notes there, so follow along with us. Here's the, the main idea, the driving thought, and it's very simple. Joy is true contentment, and we could add this, true contentment and hope that is not determined by outward circumstances. You catch the drift there? Joy is being truly contented, truly, true contentment with what God has given us. And there's also hope, but it doesn't depend on outward circumstances. You see, for some of us, we can have good days. Some of y'all, you wake up, woo, great day. That can change, can it? I mean, a good day, a good day can turn into a bad day very quickly. This past week, I went to, um, since I'm so health conscious, I went to get some um, fast food, and this is a while back. And, I, and I'm coming through through the fast food. And, and this never happened before to me in my whole life. The lady who is taking my order there, I'm about to pick up the food. She looks at me and she says, I'm going to get you. I thought the same thing. And then she looks at me and she said, no, I'm going to get you. Now, if you've ever been told that by a woman who looks like she's all business... In a drive-through. I did not think I was trained in martial arts. I did not think that I had a Glock in the center console. All I could do was go, me? And she'd go, I'm going to get you. I was terrified, man. I was like, what did I do to this lady? And I said, me? Uh, What, what? And she goes, so I'm not going to get you. I'm going to get him. And there was a guy on the other side of the car. And you knew he was in trouble. He does one of these things. Right, And then I I was like, just keep the credit card and drive away. Just keep the credit card and drive away. But man, how quickly it was. I was like, I'm going to get me some good nasty fast food. And how quickly that changed. The reactions. And what happens so often with us is if you have your outline, notice we confuse joy with good circumstances, things that happen to us. A lot of people think that joy is something that you work yourself up in the feeling. Now, I know some of y'all, you're here at church. You're like, I'm at church. I'm supposed to be happy. Okay. Joy is not that feeling you get when you see someone who seems extremely happy to the point that you just want to slap them. You don't feel good. You don't feel joyful, you don't feel happy, but you say, I should probably be like that person. Joy is not you just trying to listen to the eye of the tiger and say, I want to be like that, I want to be happy, happy, happy. That's not joy. Joy is not us trying to work ourselves up to feeling something. Joy is not circumstantial happiness. You see, Jeff, I've, I've got a great fiancé, great husband, great wife, great job, great vehicle. I mean, even my, even my cat likes me. Like, life is just good. Life is good. So therefore, I'm joyful. Joy is not circumstantial happiness. Joy is also not a fleeting emotion. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story about a sower that goes out and he's sowing, he's throwing these seeds That are going to take root. And there's this one that comes on rocky ground. There's just a small amount of soil. And he says it quickly springs up. But then the sun scorches it. He says these are people who hear the gospel. And they quote have no root in themselves. But endure for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And Jesus says they receive it with joy. It's kind of like you show up at church, you, you, you say, I may be a little bit behind the eight ball on the Jesus thing, but are you kidding me? Are you saying that I can have forgiveness for my sin, that God's going to truly love me, that I'm going to get saved from hell, go to heaven? Man, this is, this is a better deal than El Rio on Fridays, four ninety nine dollars and a drink, one through seven. Like, this is awesome. I get, some of y'all are going to go there like on Friday, right? Like, this is so great. I can't believe, follow me, I can't believe what I get out of Christianity. Jesus says, that's not true faith. That's not true joy. It's simply looking for a good bargain to say, what can I get out of God? It's looking at God and saying, wow, all I have to do is put in the 25 cents of, quote, my faith. And I don't just get one Coke. I mean, all of them pour out. Jesus is saying that true joy and true faith is not looking at God and saying, look at what I can get from you. You see joy most people today they don't understand it they don't get it the apostle paul says in 1st corinthians 15:19 he says that if in if in christ we have hope in this life only we are above all people to be most pitied what it means is that if jesus really didn't rise from the dead and this life is all there is it means that people who follow christ loser it means that you have no hope and so therefore, if you are a follower of Christ and your joy comes from Jesus, but people around you don't understand Jesus, it means that most people are not going to understand it. But what most people will understand is what we could call false channels of joy. You know, most people today, they're going to look for something in life to make them happy, right? that so some people or really, is that all of us? Like everybody's wanting to be happy. The choices that we make are to make us happy. Even someone who takes their own life, they do so with the mindset that if I take my life, I'm not going to have to deal with the pain of life. Death is going to be easier than life. So therefore, even in instances of self-harm, there is the quest for joy and happiness. There's a king named Solomon and he had every option you can imagine. He tried to go to everything to find satisfaction in life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon tried to to have joy come from knowledge. He says in verse 17, and I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is a striving after the wind. You see, for some people, they say, well, what's the point of life? How do you have a good and happy life? And they go down the academic road. They go down the knowledge road. But one thing that you know, the more you learn, is really how jacked up people really are. You you can say with some people that ignorance is bliss... Which is not true. Ignorance doesn't help anybody. But for some people, the more you learn about history, you're like, oh my word. Like, it's interesting, but I wish I had never read that. To learn about what the Nazis did in World War II. And the Russian pogroms against the Jews pre-World War II. To, to, to read about the Crusades, To read about uh, the Armenian genocide that the Turks did. I mean, all of these things, it's just like this heavy weight of conscience. And really, the more you learn, the more knowledge you have, the more depressing life can really be. That's what's led some people to say, man, ignorance is bliss. Like, I want to be like that guy who he doesn't have a clue. He's just glad he has a snow cone. Like, I want to be that dude. Like, I don't want knowledge. But then we realize, at the core of it, if knowledge brings joy, then it really doesn't. Because even the most learned people in the world, if they don't have Jesus, they do not have joy. They simply know how more, they know more fully about how life is a great disappointment. Then others say, well, Jeff, I really, I actually get allergic with school and knowledge and books. What I like is a good time, entertainment. Well, Solomon did that too. He says there in beginning in chapter 2 and verse 1 in the book of Ecclesiastes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So what he's saying, he's like, I'm a king. Now, if you're a king, you have options. Like not the cool guy in 8th grade. Who's hit his girl's spurt and all the girls think he's cool. Like he can ask any girl to the dance. Not that kind of option. Like literally any type of option. And Solomon says, I have resolved to have a good time. And he says in verse 10, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Imagine that. He's saying that I enjoyed everything that could be enjoyed. And in America, can I get a witness? We have, like the book says, the danger of entertaining ourselves to death i mean we have entertainment everywhere you can go with an ipod you can have tunes wherever you go like you can have music blasting to where when you're brushing your teeth you have it on the epic station on pandora and you're like i am awesome right like you've got music you've got entertainment you've got places that you can go and even we've got food that we can entertain ourselves with you realize that Golden Corral, they will give you half a dozen yeast rolls after you finish. Like, let that soak in. Like, you need a half a dozen yeast rolls. Like, I need... I need a wheelchair after I'm done with Golden Corral. But it's amazing how in our culture, we've got all sorts of stuff. We've got movies and we've got food and we've got entertainment and we have places you can go. All of these things, but haven't we experienced at least one time or another after the trip that it comes back to life as is normal and it's lame once again? the only difference is that we've dropped some crazy stupid money on something that we thought would bring us joy and happiness but yet it simply left us as us drive a new car still you in the car y'all with me like you can buy stuff, you can have experiences, and we're left high and dry once again. Now other people say, well Jeff, it's not a, re- it's not, it's not knowledge, it's not entertainment, it's just that I, I, I want somebody, I want to have a relationship. Solomon tried that as well in chapter 2 and verse 8 of the book of Ecclesiastes. He said that he had many concubines, not even counting his wives, around a thousand women that he had in his life, but he says that all of this is vanity. Tim Keller said this, and this is in your notes. He said, if you marry someone expecting them to be like a God, it is only inevitable that they will disappoint you. It's not that you should try to love your spouse less, but that rather you should know and love God more. You see, the breakdown in many relationships and marriages today is because we're all, whether we realize that we're looking for a savior... We're looking for someone to save us. We're looking for someone to give us identity and worth. And then many times when we you you get married and look to that person to fulfill in our heart and our life what only God can fulfill. And then when the person doesn't act like God, or maybe they do and they try to micromanage your life... And real life hits, we become disillusioned and we say, well, I thought a relationship, I thought engagement, I thought a boyfriend, girlfriend, I thought marriage would bring joy and happiness. But it simply leaves us with more responsibility. God can use a godly relationship, but we can't look to ultimate joy through that relationship. And then other people are like Solomon and they turn to work there in chapter 2 verse 20 he said so i turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun he's saying you know what i'm just gonna work i'm gonna find value i'm gonna find joy in work and let me just say this work is a good thing can i get an amen Amen. and for the basement dweller guys who will not work get a job All right, for the glory of God and for your family and for your future wife. And we teach our girls, right, when a guy wants to pursue you, there's two J issues. One, do you know Jesus? And second, do you have a J-O-B? Because if mom is still, if mom is still paying for the dates at McDonald's, he's not ready for a full-time relationship. And all the parents said, amen. So we should work. We should be diligent, but the danger, men or women, is for us to find our identity and our joy in our work or in our family. Now, many times people, I've heard this said, you know what, my child is what gives me a reason to live. I want you to hear me very clearly. If that's the case, then you've made an idol out of your child. You have elevated a gift from God to the status of God because God is the one who should give us reason to live. And if your child becomes ill or, God forbid, your child dies and you have to bury your own child, it means that you have no more point, no more reason to live. And that's not the truth. The truth is that God gives us joy and blessings are simply things that He gives us on the side to in a certain sense, supplement the joy. But the joy doesn't come from children. It doesn't come from entertainment. It doesn't come from marriage. It doesn't come from work. When I was in Florida, we uh, camped out on this island. It was this island there in the Indian River. Um, beautiful place. But what we didn't realize until the lights, you know, kind of went down, the sun goes down, is that rats were on the island. All right. If you have a phobia, I apologize to people running out the background. And we brought some wood, but we didn't bring enough to last the whole night. And there were palm leaves everywhere on the island. So when the sun went down, you heard all the palm leaves. This is going to freak some of y'all. Some of y'all are not even going to eat lunch. You're just going to go straight home and lock yourself in your room. You could hear the sound of little rat claws scurrying over the palm leaves. So we found Palm leaves. Because when you made the fire big, the rats ran away. But when the fire died down, the rats came closer. And we stayed up pretty much all night trying to keep the fire burning. I thought about that. I said, you know, it's interesting that we wore ourselves out because we didn't have good fuel. A lot of us today looking for joy, looking for happiness, We use the wrong materials to try to create the fire of joy. We look to work. We look to people. We look to entertainment. We look to family to give us what only God can give us. You see, biblically, joy finds its root in hope. This is in Romans chapter 5. It finds its root in hope. Where the Bible tells us in verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character, hope. Some of y'all needed that word this morning. And verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It means that joy finds its root in hope. It means that when work goes bad, when there's no money for entertainment, that when marriage is a struggle, when when all of those things, when they begin to crash and burn, it means that if you follow Jesus, you can look beyond that. And all of those trials, those struggles, the suffering can actually help you look forward even more to the hope of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15 verse 13, the Bible says, May the God of hope fill you with, here it is, Fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. And hope, meaning you may overflow with hope. Here's the thing. The reason why so many people in America are chronically, chronically unhappy with life is because we have looked to things that were not intended to give us ultimate joy for ultimate joy. And when we are let down by those things, we crash and we crash and we crash. It's simply, Jesus talked about it in, in Matthew chapter seven. He says, I am the rock. If you build your house on me, yes, there will be storms that will come. But if you build it on the sand, when the storms come, catastrophe and collapse. See, Jeff, what is joy? What's charis in in, in Greek? And it means in a number of languages, uh, you could express it to say, my heart is dancing or my heart shouts because I am happy. Listen, if you have been saved, if Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sin, you have hope. Listen, and that ultimately, whether you lose your job, whether you lose your cancer, whether your friends and family walk out on you, you have hope that your sins are forgiven. Listen, and ultimately, Jesus will deliver you. Deliverance is coming Jesus is allowing many people To walk through trials So that he may gain glory from that And people may look at that and say There's a mighty savior Because only Jesus could carry someone through that You see, and we also have joy Because the book of Revelation tells us That evil will be conquered And good, Jesus Christ will win Aren't you happy? Ultimately, one day You say, Jeff, man, I was raised in a crazy jacked up family. God has a plan in that. And one day, evil will be conquered for all. It'll be done. And the beauty is, guess what? We know that. It's kind of like watching a movie with people. You've seen the movie. They're like, don't spoil it for me. Don't spoil it for me. And you're like, I just, I, I, I. Right? You just, want to You just want to talk about what's about to happen. Because you just, well, some of y'all that have the spiritual gift of irritation, you want to ruin it for them. But for some of you, if you like the movie, man, you're like, I can't wait to tell you what happens. Because it's so awesome. Listen, you could, when you tell people how it ends, you're not ruining the story for them. You may very well save it for them. Because a lot of people in America, they're looking at things that can't save. They're trusting in things that can't save. A job. A wife, a husband. They can't save. Jesus saves. And if you know that and you're trusting in that, you see the first few chapters of the book, it's rough. And it gets rougher and it gets rougher. And God intervenes time and time again in the Bible as almost as if to say... I'm still in control. Novel thought. And if he's still in control and he can use even the most brutal things for my betterment and for my joy and for his glory, that should give us hope in the middle of things that for somebody who doesn't know Jesus would evaporate their joy, steal their happiness in a moment. We know what false channels of joy are. Where where do you actually find joy in life? Number one, straight up, if you don't know Jesus Christ, there is no possibility for you to truly have joy. You may be circumstantially happy, but going to hell, that's not a happy thing. Y'all all right? Living your whole life and then at the end realizing that I've been a fool because I've gained the whole world, but I've lost my soul. That is a horrific terrifying, knee-knocking-together kind of phobia that should cause all of us to fear. The fact that we could be happy by the world standards but yet lose everything forever? That's why Jesus is so merciful when he warns us. And he tells us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's the way to receive joy today is to repent and trust Jesus. You say, well Jeff, what does that have to do with fear? Here's another Tim Keller quote. He says, fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves, but joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. God doesn't want us to hate ourselves. He wants us to hate sin. And the way that joy begins is if you're here today, you just commit your life to Jesus Christ. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to, to, to measure up to something that you can never measure up to and receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Whether you're new to church or whether you come from a church that preached the gospel or come from one that didn't. Here today, Jesus Christ can save you. When we give this invitation here in just a few minutes, why don't you come forward by doing that? Saying, you know what? I'm not walking down magic steps to do some magic thing. I'm simply saying, I'm ready to be counted to follow Jesus Christ. You see, joy comes from when you get saved. Joy also comes that once you get saved, you begin to sacrifice for and you begin to share the gospel. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 verse 7 that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't think that they need it. And I praise God for the mission team. Amen. Hey, hey! last week I wasn't here, but they were lined up here on the stage. I think it's such an an awesome thing that they're taking time, they're taking vacation, they're taking their own money. And by the way, you need to give to that, praise God. You need to, if you're a member of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, give so that they can go. And here's the thing, when you go and when you sacrifice for Jesus Christ and when it's tough, VBS is coming up. Alright, and you've got, you've got kids that you're like, did somebody take a syringe and fill them full of red dye? When you sacrifice for the gospel, when you give to the gospel, there is something in that that creates joy. You see, some people, they, 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 they think that they come to church to be served. If that's your idea, it's wrong. You see, there's some people, and they never ever get plugged into a church. They always shop and hop from church to church to church. Now, we're about to preach. Okay? And they leave that church, and they go to this one. Because there was a problem with these people, right? Stupid old church. They got problems over there. Let me go to a better one. Then they go to the next one, and guess what they find? People with Problems. They leave there, go to the next church, and it continues to happen because they don't think they've been served enough. Listen, the only, the only, the only central component of all of those situations is you. It's you. If you've had problems with church after church after church after church after church after church church, and you can't find anywhere to plug in, guess what the one Central components. It's you. Now here's what's awesome when you get people that don't know about church. When they're, when they're lost, man, they're like, bro, I hadn't been to church in a long time. They are so grateful for everything. They are. They're like, man, I'm thankful for Jesus. I wouldn't be able to serve. I wasn't going to church a year ago, but now I'm saved and now I'm reaching out to my friends. I don't know much about in the Bible, but all I, what I do know is that I was lost and now I'm found. And they're filled with joy. It's the ones who need to take Metamucil the quote-unquote church people who shop and hop and shop and hop. And they say the problem is not in the mirror. The problem is and it can be anything. If that's you, you are not filled with joy because here's a reason. Pride says I need to be served. But humility says I am blessed to be able to serve. And joy follows service. Same Jeff, I struggle with joy sometimes. I really do. Welcome to the club Just because you get saved Just because you sacrifice for the gospel Just because you serve Doesn't mean that you're not going to walk through times To where it seems like life stinks Is that a good word? Some of y'all may be more encouraged you're like, I thought I was supposed to be joyful all the time Listen, when you read the Bible You read David David was not always happy, happy, happy When you read Jesus I mean, would you call that a, a tough row? The disciples, I mean, all of these quote-unquote heroes of the Bible, even Jesus himself, doesn't mean that you're always walking around with a huge grin on your face, but what it simply means is that you have hope that God will deliver. And many times when we walk through that dark night of the soul, something that we can do when we begin to feel the downward slide into discouragement and depression is we can begin to thank God for things that he's already done. We can begin to thank God for the small things. We can have a responsiveness of joy because sometimes when we begin to feel down and we begin to feel depressed and broken, sometimes it can be because we think that we have something that we deserve but have not yet been given. But may it be in our lives that we begin to just thank God for the small things. Say, God, thank you. Thank you that I have a church that I can go to. Thank you that I can actually be here. Uh, I may not have the health that's that's like that person or that person, but I'm actually able to come. I'm actually able to understand and hear the gospel. Praise God. I have a husband or a wife that loves me. I I have a family. I have a church family. I I know about Jesus. I'm able to have a mind that prays for missions. I'm able to have a a, a body that can eat food. Praise God, this is a Baptist church. Come on. I have precious children and precious grandchildren. I know I don't deserve them, but God has given me to them. We need to begin to thank God. To have a spirit of gratefulness. Because if we realize that we've been saved from hell, like Jonathan Edwards, man, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he says, You were like you were like a spider that is held over a great inferno by one little strand. And if one of those flames simply licks up, the strand will be cut and the spider falls in the fire. Guess what people were doing when he preached that sermon? They're like hanging on to the pillars because they thought they were going to hell right there. Man, the fact that Jesus Christ has loved us and he knew that we would be messy, he knew we would be imperfect, but yet he chose to send Jesus. He chose to save us. He chose to keep us saved. Amen. All that. And some of us need to take some time to think back on what we were like and what we were into before Jesus came along. And here we are today. We are not perfect, but praise God, we're saved. And that just needs to create some thankfulness in our heart for Jesus. And we begin to thank and we begin to praise and show gratitude. Joy follows.